0: What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Nerdgasm. This match is going to be intense. We have two competitors, one that's been fighting his way to get to this spot, and one competitor that, uh, you know, you probably know who he is when I announce his name. Uh, He's been here. He's been a champ. uh, And I'm really excited to get into this match, so let's get into it right away. Let's introduce my judges first tonight. First, besides myself, uh, we have Brooklyn Vale. Brooklyn, how are you feeling tonight?
1: We're doing good. Uh, I believe I was a judge for Robert's last match, and I was going to for Kirk's last match, so, you know, it's good. I have, some, I have some some balance. I'm familiar with our argumentative styles.
0: Absolutely. This is going to be a great match. Regardless, let's go ahead and bring in Caleb. Caleb Boatman, you are welcome here. How are Hi. you doing tonight? Uh, I have
2: my finals tomorrow, my final final tomorrow. Uh,
0: so yeah, ah, what a what a better way to take your mind off the finals than watching two competitor, competitors yeah. battle it out. Let's introduce our competitors real quick, and then we'll jump into it. Let's bring in Robert first. Uh, Robert Parker, you know him. You love um, him. How are you doing today? Good, sir.
3: I'm doing lovely. I haven't uh, nergasmed in a number of months, so I'm excited to be back. And to nerdgasm and to debate, uh, Kirk is great. Uh, I am interested to see how our styles kind of go against each other. There are some interesting questions, some interesting picks. Uh, so yeah, let's just uh, let's roll the dice. Let's see how this goes.
0: All right, and last, but certainly not least, let's go ahead and bring in Kirk Kolkowski. Uh, Kirk, how are you doing tonight? Uh, are you excited for the match?
4: Yeah, I'm excited. I somehow got suckered into taking Robert Parker on in a geek-centric format, which is one of the classic blunders, like getting involved in the land war in Asia. But fortunately, I don't need to know all the minutiae. I don't need to know the details. I just need to be able to fight my way through it, talk my way through it. So I think I got a puncher's chance.
0: Uh, that's absolutely true. As long as you, uh, can fight your way through it with your words, uh, you know, this is going to be an intense match, but it'll be a fun match. Guys, you know how this works. This isn't your first nerdgasm. This isn't your first debate. You guys get a minute to open. Five minutes to uh, debate each other and then, we'll, uh, and then one minute to close. Guys, you know how it is. Uh, so if you're listening, be excited. This is going to be one heck of a match. Guys, you know when I come back on screen for the opening and closing, you got 10 seconds. When I come back on the screen for the first time in the five-minute round, you have a minute left. I will say one minute. You have that time and then I'll come back in at 10 seconds. Let's kick this off the right way. Go ahead and throw the judges in the background. And throw Robert in the background, and I'm going to kick off with this first question. And, Kirk, you are up first. Remember, when I leave the screen, as soon as you start talking, you have a minute. So the question, in the category of bond, what bond gadget would you most want in real life?
4: When I think about James Bond it's yeah, there's so many fantastical, fantastic items, different weapons, different gear, uh, different things. But I thought about, what, what do I want in real life? What do I want for my everyday life Is the most practical item I can use? Um, James Bond has had access to a lot of great vehicles. Uh, but the vehicles that I thought would be most useful for me is the Wet Nelly Lotus E-Spirit S1 underwater submarine car. From The Spy Who Loved Me, uh, this is a car that can travel on land or act as a submarine under the water. Uh, this has a lot of practical uh, applications, a lot of things I could do to make my life a lot easier in a lot of different ways transportation-wise. A lot of uh, different places I go to and explore that otherwise would have access to. Uh, so I think this is the best James Bond uh, gadget to have in real life. I'll concede the rest of my time.
0: All right, he's conceding the rest of his time, and we're going to jump over to Robert. Uh, let's go ahead and pull Robert up. Robert, one minute when you start talking and I disappear.
3: So Kirk brought up a lot of good points as far as you know what makes a Bond gadget good, right? It, there's a lot of fantastical things out there, a lot of fun little gadgets and weapons and all that kind of stuff. You want something that's practical, you want something that you're going to use, not just like have sit in your garage or in your basement or on a trophy case. You want something that you're going to use in real life. What would I personally want? And it has got to be the jetpack. So the jetpack is something that everybody from time immemorial has always fantasized about. You can fly anywhere. You can get any place you want to be. You can go up to mountains. You can go across oceans. You don't have to go underneath them. Uh, that that is a very applicable, very useful, very practical thing. Uh, it's not violent. You're not going to hurt anybody using it. So that's why it's the best James Bond gadget that I would personally want. Uh, It helps travel uh, just like Kirk's also does. I think it's just a little bit more practical for the average person's everyday life.
0: All right. And he finished up. All right. We're going to bring both the competitors in. Take me out. Uh, You guys got five minutes. Remember, when I come back in, I'm going to say one minute. I'll disappear again. When I come back, you got 10 seconds. All right. Take me out. Let's go.
3: All right, so the, the, the one thing about the submarine car is that, yes, it's a really cool car, but like, how often are you near an area where the water is deep enough to use a submarine? Like, You can't cross a river with it. You can't like go across a lake with it. You need like extremely deep water to be able to use a submarine. Me, I don't live on an ocean. I, I don't think, you know. I would say a, a lot of people don't live on oceans that were anywhere near where there's deep enough water to be able to practically use it. I think more often than not, it would be sitting in your garage as a show-off item
4: i think i mean well personally i commute my entire commute is next to a river that's probably about 10 15 feet deep the car is probably a you know, five. five, feet five, down. five it's, a, it's a car it's a five and a half feet car it's not a full submarine i can get that under there i can take it wherever i need to go um okay. i think that's lot more practical yours you're saying you can fly anywhere we saw this item used once and it hopped more than it flew. He goes up and he goes down. We don't know well, the, the full capacity. But that has to do with the visual pack.
3: effects of the time. That The, the sure. Thunderbolt was not a very revolutionary movie with the movie making. You can't discredit the item just because of the movie, like, because of the filmmaking techniques that were available at the time. When when you think Jetpack and Thunderbolt, you think that, the jetpack, you think just the traditional jetpack, it's going to get you where you need to go. You can fly across that river instead of having to wait underneath it. You can fly across oceans. You can fly on top of mountains. It is all terrain all the time.
4: Well, what I think about that is too, I mean, you talked about not hurting anybody on yours. That thing does not look secure. The nice thing about my car, I don't need a helmet to drive it. I mean, the thing is big, it's clunky. It doesn't look, you talk about being practical, it doesn't look really like you know, I wouldn't take that. I wouldn't look at it and think like, oh, I'm gonna fly the top of this mountain because I don't know that thing might hit, break down halfway through. That thing does not look or seem and again, you're right, we only get one quick shot of it and you're limited by the budget, whatever, in the in the filmmaking world, but where it doesn't look like it's made for long-term travel. It looks like it's just made for those quick jumps, it's a getaway vehicle. That's it. I don't see any long-term practical use for it.
3: Uh, long-term practical is not just for transportation, but also for show. Like you want something that is going to get you where you want to go practically, but also like you have a bunch of friends over and you like jetpack. You put that on YouTube. You can monetize your channel. You can make some. You could make some great vlog content while you're in the air on a jetpack. And I'm just saying that that's just another avenue that you could take uh, with this item. Uh, again, you're like, what happens if you run out of gas when you're in the middle of that river? Like you're going to be in trouble. You're not going to be able to refill it. You're under the water. You might be in some trouble there.
4: What if you run out of gas or whatever powers you? I don't even know what fuels your jetpack, batteries or whatever. I mean, that you could have the same pr- problem. The there. Above? My th- <laughs> my thing is uh, you know, you're talking about impressing your friends, impressing people. Even on the street, if I'm just driving around, I have a lotus. I have this like beautiful sports car that I'm driving around, even if it's just even if I even if I don't take it in the water. But when I want to, I, like I said, I can use it for my commute to work, I'm out of traffic, I want to go to the beach, I'm gonna explore in the water. If you watch my scene, compare our two scenes. Your scene is very utilitarian. He straps that heavy backpack on, puts the helmet on, jumps, takes it off, have to put it in the trunk of the car. My car is one of the most aesthetically beautiful scenes in, uh, ever in a James Bond movie. He's under the, he's in the water, he's under the beach. You know, they and they take a minute before the fight starts to actually just show you what you could see, what's the possibilities of using this vehicle? It's like a commercial for the car. It's wonderful.
3: Sure thing. Uh with with the the, the jetpack, you know again, times have probably changed. The jetpack technology has advanced. You know, it's like it's like a bike. First you do training wheels with the helmet, then you take off the training wheels, then you take off the helmet. I'm sure with enough practice you could get to a point where it isn't as clunky to use. It's not as aesthetically displeasing. I think that just comes with practice. That comes with repetition. That comes with practicality, which I think does come with time when you're using something like a jetpack. And it is a really cool car but it's also 2020. There's lots of really cool cars. You're not like car culture is not like a really mainstream thing anymore in Ooh. 2020 you're not going to impress somebody i don't really think like the submarine aspect maybe but just by showing off hey i have a sports car a lot of people have sports cars
4: yeah i mean that's i mean that's, but i mean that's car culture still a huge thing i mean it's a subculture but still a huge thing i mean there's been 15 fast and furious movies around car culture um making a billion dollars each
3: anymore. those are action movies they, they started but, that way but they're not anymore
4: but I, I, would, I would say this concerning, you're right, you know, maybe down the road, the jetpack could evolve. It could become something better than what it is. But we're talking about what device from the movie. So we can only take the mo- the device that we see in your movie in Thunderball. And like I said, that's a very clunky, very cumbersome item. And again, it'd be cool to like do that jump. But again, I don't see where else you're going with that. It, it doesn't seem to have a lot of range. It doesn't seem to be made for that. It was his getaway vehicle he had on top of the roof to get away. Why did he, why did he go? a block away from the building and go into a car. If he had more range on that thing, why didn't he fly away? It would have been a lot more practical fly away. If he could, I don't think he could. I think there was a very limited travel range on that jetpack.
3: Oh, this! I thought that was your last hand. I'm sorry. Uh, I was going to to my closing.
0: <laughs> All right. Uh, so um, Kirk is going to go first on closing this out. Right. No, I think I go uh, to That's yeah. right. That's right. We went yeah. over this. You mm. Uh so bring Robert back in. Uh Robert is gonna have one minute. Go ahead and take Kirk out and take me out. And you got
3: all right so uh first off i think that a car especially sports car and especially something that has to have the technology capabilities that the wet does i think it's going to be really energy and you're not going to get good gas mileage while you're going through a muddy river and i think environmentalists in 2020 are going to tear that whole design apart whether it be just that the sports car isn't like that cool of a thing anymore we're in a very anti-rich like anti-wealth society right now so maybe like being rich and showing off this really cool sports car that also goes underwater and probably kills the fish is not a great thing. With the jetpack, not only is it practical, you can probably get further than the budget and Thunderball allowed you to get, but it's also uh, it's it's cool. I'm sure it can be safe. Like I said, uh, with time, you learn to take off the helmet. You learn to control it better. And also, it is just so much cooler. That's all I got. All right, <laughs> bringing back Kirk in. Uh, and Kirk,
0: once I disappear, you got a minute when you start talking. So-
4: Robert mentioned about being a society that's anti-rich, anti-showing-off. Well, that's James Bond. Anything you get from a... James Bond movie is going, be for, is going to be a luxury edit. It's going to be showed off. It's going to be an efficient... It's going to be impre- some level of impracticality, but it's James Bond. That's, what is. That's part of why we want it. Uh, my car, like I said, on its own is just a beautiful vehicle. Uh, I can take it underwater. I can explore different parts of the world I would never see uh, with you know with just a regular car. His jetpack, like I said, it is big. It is clunky. It is cumbersome. It looks like... I mean, it's ugly. It looks like it's something the special effects guys threw away in 5-10 seconds. My car is a beautiful lotus yeah, i could see so many beautiful parts of the world i'd never have access to otherwise without this car and the jetpack like i said it's limited range from from the proof we of the movie limited range little, little uh limited there's just not much you can do with this jetpack it'd be cool to jump once and go but after that it's boring as far as the environmental thing goes i see the epa stats on the uh, jetpack um, I'm sure the fuel there isn't efficient, probably uh, polluting as well. Time. We don't know. I think I to, to the wash time,
0: Time. All right. We'll bring in the judge. Um, we're back. All right. So that was an interesting, interesting debate. I really like both styles. I liked how they came. I did I will go first. Um, I heard I heard a lot about, you know, the the spectacle of it. Um and I didn't. Uh, during, there was one thing that Robert said that I didn't hear Kirk kind of combat a little bit more of the yeah you have the car part but you know the submarine you have to submerge it a little bit to go underwater and I didn't really hear you combat too much of that. Um, it it was a kind of a neck neck battle. I was trying to look for as many punches as I could find uh, and I just didn't hear a counter for that argument because you kind of countered each other's arguments here and there. Uh, but uh, I give. I'm gonna give Robert the point. For this, but I am not the only judge. Uh, let's go to Brooklyn. Brooklyn, how did you see this bout?
1: Uh, I actually disagree with you. Uh, I thought this was a good in terms of like just hitting each other's points. So it sort of came down to the overall argument. And for Kirk's, I think with the, this, there's more of a sense of like I was more sold on like the practicality of of, of, of his. I think there was a lot of things sort of cancel each other out. So I think it was just sort of an overall theme. And, and you got to sell. You got to sell in debates, and I think Kirk did a
0: really good job of that. Okay, and vote. You are the deciding factor.
2: Um, I'm actually also giving my vote to Kirk here. Uh, I think that uh, everything that Robert kind of threw at Kirk, Kirk was kind of able to throw right back in his face, uh, and that's kind of was the was the big thing for me. And the, the other thing is I just think uh, the way that Kirk hit on the the clunkiness of the jet bot and how
0: the the submarine car would actually like be practically. Okay. All right. That's why we do this. That's why we have multiple judges. Uh, And Kirk is getting the point for that round. We are going into the next question, which is the question that Robert's going to kick off, which is Game of Thrones. So, uh, Robert, best character in the series as soon as I'm out.
3: All right, let's do this. So Game of Thrones, according to the showrunners, George R. R. Martin, the author, a lot of the cast members, basically Game of Thrones central theme, as stated by many, many people in the involvement of Game of Thrones, it's always been about the struggle between human good and human evil within each person. Jamie Lannister's character is the epitome of that theme and in the internal conflict within people. His failure lines up perfectly with the reality of that struggle that sometimes people deep down, they know what the right thing to do is, they know what they should be doing, but still they succumb to their worst instincts. They regress into who they were before. Jamie's arc from episode one all the way to the finale hits the nail on the head perf- and it perfectly, perfectly showcases the struggle between personal growth and who somebody was born to be their destiny, you know, who, who they are. And sometimes you can't escape that destiny no matter how hard you try. That is what Game of Thrones is about. That's what Jamie's character is about. That's why Jaime Lannister is the most complex and the best represented character in Game of Thrones.
0: All right. Robert finishing up. Let's bring Kirk in. Kirk, as soon as I disappear, and you start talking. You got a minute. <clears> hmm <throat>
4: Uh, The best character I picked for Game of Thrones, I think, is the uh, most relatable character, the most likable character, the most interesting character to watch. The character that you care about the most uh, is, and I went with uh, Robert's pick's brother, I picked Tyrion Lannister. Uh, From episode one of that show all the way through, uh, uh, Tyrion is exactly who you, he's the guy you're drawn to. He's the one you want to know. He's the one you want to hang out with. He's the one you want to see what happens to this guy, what this guy does, what he's going to do next. He's the most interesting. He's the most fascinating. Um, he gives, you know, uh, Peter Dinklage probably gives the best performance the entire show as this character. And um, I, I think he's just, you know, throughout the show, you know, he, he's, he's the anchor. He's what kept me engaged in the show. I think he's what kept a lot of people engaged. Uh, while other characters had ups and downs, uh, Tyrion is very, very, you know, consistently a great character, um, regardless of what he's doing. Uh, he, he, he walks that line of good and bad um, in a different way than Jamie. He is, you know, has a good heart, but he knows he has to do bad things, and that's one of the things that makes him so interesting.
0: Time. Alright, we're back in it, guys. Uh, Alright, we have Tyrion versus Jaime. Uh, this was about that uh, probably their father was looking forward to at one point or another. So, let's jump into it, guys. When I leave the screen, five minutes... When I come back, one minute. When I come back again, 10 seconds.
3: So Tyrion is really interesting and great and encapsulating of the show for the first four seasons. Once he gets to Essos, he isn't an interesting character anymore. You don't understand his motivations or his allies. You don't understand why he does what he does. He just does it because the show has him do it. He spends an entire season being drunk and Essos going around with Jorah. And why does he like soar up and suddenly become an expert politician again and fall in love with Danny? Because, like, there's no reason, there's no justification for a lot of his actions, especially once we get to this final season. Why does he rat out on Varys? Why does he say he cares so much about the innocence of King's Landing when in his trial, arguably one of the... Like most iconic moments of the show, he said he wants to kill every single person in King's Landing just a few seasons later he is like, oh no, save everybody it's so important that people live Why Tyrion has never been the person who cares about those kind of things. Jamie is somebody who acts cruel and careless to hide how conflicted he really is and that conflict that complexity is what keeps the show running, it's what keeps you intrigued in his character through the very end
4: See, I think with Jamie, the thing about Jamie is it's always about somebody else. I mean, the first couple of seasons when he's still like the big bad. I mean, he's just like a sniveling henchman for for, Cer- for Cersei, and Cersei's he's a king slayer. He's not a henchman. Yeah, he's he, he he is for. I mean, he's he's Cersei's lap dog. He's he he he's completely subservient and controlled by her. And even as he's trying to turn good, he's still trying to you know please her and figure out how to make her happy. Even towards the end, I mean, you talk about you know a character kind of falling apart. At the end, it's like yeah, Jamie has this big arc. And then it just at the very end it collapses literally. And you know, he's and he's exactly the same guy he was at the beginning. And his his entire series long arc is wiped away because you know.
3: what's isn't character growth sometimes cyclical like people can still go through a lot of emotional turmoil people can go through life changing and changing events and come out still that you they can look like they're doing great and they can still regress like he knew what the right thing to do was he didn't do it because that's who he was that was his morality at the end of the day he is still that Slayer that he wants to be like I, that's not a failure of an arc in my opinion that's actually a really great arc it's a really great representation of the show of the show's struggle between good and evil, sometimes evil wins. See, Even think, when I, you want so bad for it to be good.
4: I think and I think it would have shows that in reality he was always just Cersei's lapdog. He was always just there for, to serve Cersei. And like he I said, wasn't she though,
3: was, when he's traveling with Brienne, he's still Cersei's lapdog. When he's when he abandoned Cersei to and, go fight for the North, to fight for the humans to survive in the battle of at the in season or er, season eight, episode three, when he abandoned Cersei to go fight for the living, that is that, that's not being Cersei's lapdog, still.
1: Should be letting Kirk talk here? Mm-hmm.
4: Um, I would say, yeah, I, I, but I mean, I, but I mean, again, it's like he, you see that he he, he has sides, but every time Cersei comes up, he melts. You know, every time he sees her again, the further away he gets, yeah. But as soon as he gets back there, he just regresses back to what he was. Tyrion, like you were saying about him, when he when he leaves King's Landing, yeah, he leaves King's Landing. He's out of his element. He learns how to deal with that. And I think one of the reasons why they kind of nerfed him in those later seasons is because he was such an overwhelming presence in those first four seasons where there was really nothing he could do wrong everything he did he was always the smartest in the room he always did everything right he knew the right thing to do they had to find a way to make that make him more vulnerable and let some of the other characters shine so they gave him that arc where okay i'm out of my element in a different country i don't know what i'm doing i don't know why i'm here or what i, I don't know what I, not, not why i'm here but what i'm supposed to be doing or how to act here you know king's landing was his element and he had to get back to that. as far as the fact that he said Oh, I'm I, uh, you know, he, I wanted to kill everybody. You know that shows again how conflicted he is. I mean, there's a lot of anger and rage inside of him because of how he was raised, how he was treated, how his family treated him. So that comes out in that rage towards King's Landing. But you see at the end where he is the true hero. And with Game of Thrones, I think the heroes are always more interesting because they're always losing. They're always getting beat down. They're the ones who are always on the defense. One minute, guys. So I think this is one of the- I think this is one of the few shows or movies or whatever where the the heroes are more interested. I think Tyrion is the greatest hero in Game of Thrones.
3: I think Jamie is so great because he rides the line between heroes and villains so well. One day he'll stop Brienne from being raped, he'll help her fight a bear, and the next he'll rape Cersei next to their dead son's corpse. That's just something that this character does. He does have that push and pull. It's not like he had this great arc where he was progressing, 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 oh, suddenly he's a villain again. He had this give and take throughout the entire series, the entire eight seasons, you never knew exactly where he stood with anything. And that is great. That mystery, that push and pull, that is what made Jamie so great. Talking about Tyrion being out of his element. Once he gets back into his element at the end of the eighth season, he says, "Oh, who should be the king? How about Bran? That's a great idea." That's not playing the Game of Thrones. That's not being the master politician. That's not being the mastermind. That's going from overwhelming, and then they run out of source material and don't remember how to make him overwhelming. So they make him underwhelming. They forget everything that made his character great.
4: I I I think that that shows the greatness of his character because he has to big himself himself up in doops.
0: All right. We're going to go into closing. Let's try and keep the filibustering down to a minimum, guys, uh, when we do these uh, when we do these five minutes. Um, we'll tell you if you're going on in the private chat. Just try and keep an eye on it. Um, let's go. Kirk, you're going to kick us off for the closing. I'm going to stay on, and I will give you the 10 when you have a minute, and I'll give you the 10 when uh, you yeah, 10 effective left.
4: Tyrion is interesting. He's one of the most—he's the most complex character in the show. He has the same upbringing as Jamie, but he doesn't have any of the benefits of it. You know, he was uh, despised and abused by his own family, by everyone around him, and you see him throughout his arc, throughout his story, overcoming that and using that to his advantage. Where Jamie was just a spoiled rich kid who fell in love with his sister and never really overcame that. You know, Tyrion made himself a better person. Jamie never really tried to. Uh, Jamie just was fine going with the flow and you know doing whatever Cersei said or whatever Brienne said or whoever. You know he never took charge. Tyrion took charge. He did it from behind the scenes, but he was you know he was the mastermind. He was he was the one that knew what was going on. Um, you know he got you know, there's some confusion towards the end. Again, that was you know was it writing whatever was it lack of source material who knows. But Tyrion was the anchor of the show. At the end of the day, he was the guy you cared about. He's the one you wanted to see. Um, so that's why he's the most it. best character
0: all right time uh let's bring robert in robert closing this out you got a minute on the clock and uh when i leave i'll be back
3: again, Tyrion was interesting for the first half of the series and then he stopped being interesting. You don't want to talk about subservience. He became the yes man for Jon and Tyrion and that's it. That was, or excuse me, Jon and Danny. That was his entire arc for the last half of the series. How can you say that's the best character of the series? And you want to talk about Jaime never actually trying to do good? Of course he does good. Once again, he abandons Cersei. His love rides off to the north to protect the humans. He sp- spends time with Bran. He falls in love with, with Bran. He knights Bran. He is trying so hard to do good, yet his who, who he is deep down down, that just keeps bringing him back to that darkness. That's complexity. That's the point of the story is that constant struggle between good and bad. You never get a struggle with Tyrion. You always know, oh, I kind of like him. He's funny. He's kind of quippy. And then he stops being all of those things. That's unforgivable. Jamie is entertaining throughout. The performance by Nikolai Waldo is incredible. You in, you get so much intrigue into why he tries to convince people that he's this big buff, macho kingslayer, but suddenly, you know, deep down, he actually really wants to go to, he wants to break that bond with Cersei, but he just can't it's in his nature he's trying to break his nature and he just can't and that's realistic Time.
0: all right let's bring the judges back in and everybody else back in all right i kicked off the first question i'm gonna go over to brooklyn to kick us off with our second question brooklyn where did you see this uh where did you see this match
1: I, I haven't given my point to Robert. Um, I think Robert just, he's, this is like one of the ones that he's super passionate about outside of like regular fandom movies. Um, and I think that just sort of comes off, comes off, comes off in the question. I think there were some things that I wanted to hear from Kirk in the closing, and they just, it, they were sort of like, re, just sort of redundant, and it didn't really they didn't really tackle the things that I wanted to hear from the Freeform. Uh, so Robert, yeah, gets with
0: me. All right, but where did you see this going?
2: Uh, i'm also leaning towards robert on this one uh i just think he he made more points concerning uh more hard hitting uh the thing about being a lap dog i think was kind of the point that tipped me over the edge
0: all right and i actually am going to go with robert as well i think there was a lot a lot more hits on robert's end uh with uh the character overall as a character why it's so important to be a, this kind of character of Game of Thrones. Um, All right, going into question three, guys. And uh, Kirk, you are starting this question off, so I'll stay in with you again. All right, so we're going to go into this. uh, Go ahead and take Robert off. Question three comes from the MCU. Uh, Besides the Avengers movies, what is the best MCU sequel? Kirk, you got a minute on the board when you start talking
4: there are a lot of wrong reasons to make a comic book sequel you know just a cash grab just you know character recognition you want to keep going with the same old same old and a lot of sequels do fall in that trap so i went with one that uh is, is takes a, take a character who have been very one note and expands his world expands his universe expands him as a character and a person i went with uh Captain America the winter soldier. Um this takes Steve Rogers out of the World War II element. Uh, um which once that movie's over, it's kinda like what do you do with this guy now? Um Captain America can be a very white white character. Um but they bring him full force into the real world and they force him to face all these scenarios that you know he never would have had to fight face back, you know, in the World War II era. Um It expands the Marvel universe. It shows more of what's going on, the machinations, uh, what's led up to everything in the Avengers uh, world. And um, it's just a great spy thriller. It's a great genre for this character. Um, It's just a fantastic sequel. All
0: right, perfect. Uh, Let's go ahead and bring Robert in. Robert, same thing, except this time I will not be
3: on screen. Got a minute. I'll be back in when you get time. So I really tried to dig into what makes a sequel function so great as a sequel to its previous films. I really went to Soldier a good movie. I don't necessarily think it functions great as a sequel. I'll get into that later. But the one I want was is Thor Ragnarok. Uh, with a sequel, you want the character to, go through you know new challenges a new environment a new universes you said all those things expanded you want those things to change you don't want just to rehash of the original film but you also want your character change you don't want your the same character going through a changed scenario you want a character that is changed by their scenario, by their world around them, by the characters around them. That's what you get in Thor Ragnarok. Thor is confronted with his own mortality when his father dies. He's confronted with loss when he loses his hammer, betrayal with Loki's behavior. He's the same. The doofus in Thor 1 is confronted with real fear and cowardice when he meets Valkyrie. And those things that change him as a character from the first Thor to now is what makes Thor Ragnarok such a beautiful sequel. And it's just a kick-ass movie.
0: All right. Uh, let's go ahead and bring Kirk in.
4: Okay, I'm going to take issue with the idea that Captain America has not changed in his movie. I mean, this situation fundamentally changes that character. It takes him from a white 1940s hero who thinks America is great and the government is great and it's out to help people. And he finds out the reality of it's not, and that changes his character as a hero, as, as, as a person. Um, the situation changes and the character totally changes, I'd say way more than Thor does, and the thing is my character changes for the better and makes him more interesting your character in this movie is like comic relief he's a joke Um, he doesn't change in a good way
3: he absolutely does change in a good way. You see him become more adult. this, you know, he's a doofus in the first lore, and by the end of this movie, he has grown into a full-fledged leader. He is at the ready to be the king of Asgard now. That is that is a moral change that has happened over the course of the last few movies, and especially in this movie when he's faced with like real things with reality. No pun on the reality that happens in Thor: The Dark World. Uh, but he he's faced with his father's death. He's faced with losing the hammer. He's faced with real law. And that grounds him. Yes, he's a little bit more jokey because it's written by Taika Waititi. But as a character, he's much more grounded in this movie. That he, you know, he's not head in the clouds, doofus hero anymore. He really is the king of Asgard in this movie. As for Captain America changing, I would argue that he didn't. He stopped trusting government when they made him be a roadside attraction. Like he never liked. Being in the army, really, he—I mean, he liked being with the the um, the Howling Commandos, but he never liked Tommy Lee Jones' character. He never really trusted, like, he trusted America as a symbol, but he didn't really trust the people who ran it necessarily.
4: I would say he trusted. I mean, he didn't like being—he didn't like being the symbol because he wanted to be on the front lines of this whole thing. He wanted to be—he wanted to be sacrificing himself. He wanted to be taking the danger away from other people. He didn't want to be in a cushy job put on a show. He wanted to be seeing the action. He, but he believed in the cause, and he thought the cause was right, and the cause was always right. Um, real quick, I'm going to go back to Thor being a doofus. He is a doofus in the first movie. Um, he's a doofus in Ragnarok. The only difference is he's surrounded by a bunch of other doofuses because this is like a comedy show. That's, I mean, they take because I mean, the first two Thor movies weren't great. And I think they were like, well, what do we do? How do we, what do we do with another Thor movie? Well, Guardians of the Galaxy was funny. People like that. So let's, let's just do that. Let's rip off that exa- entire tone, that entire world, the entire pocket of the universe and do kind of the same thing, but with, we'll plug Thor into it.
3: He makes jokes, but that doesn't make his character a doofus. Like he's still an intelligent character. He still is smart enough to get Valkyrie back in the fold. He's still smart enough to work with uh, to not trust Loki again. He's still smart enough to get his way off of Sakara with the help of Valkyrie. Like he—he's not a dumb character anymore. He makes jokes, but that doesn't make him a doofus. As for Captain America, the—the the character that rides out uh, to save Bucky is the same character that's still trying to save Bucky at the end of Winter Soldier. Granted, it's a completely different backdrop, it's a completely different universe, like you said, those things have expanded, but the character, the heart of the character, believing in freedom, in peace, in the right to choose, in America, believing in those those kind of foundations of his personality, those don't change by his scenarios. If you would Absolutely. pick Civil War, maybe. He's changed by the end of Civil War, but by the end of this movie, he is still that person. Absolutely.
4: His, his values don't change, that's the great thing about, I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a grounded character his values don't change but his understanding of how the rest of the world responds to those values now he has to apply those values to the real world that definitely changes he he matures he grows up and yeah he's still the same guy going after bucky because bucky is his anchor bucky is the character that carries him through all this he's the one constant when he sees the world changing oh bucky's still here that's something i can cling to uh going back to four good
3: I was just going to say as far as he 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 doesn't change that much though because you you say he grows up but he still goes on to, to like trust government just as much he trusts uh or, um, some more? Martin Freeman yeah he trusts Martin Freeman as a character he he still works with them he still cooperates like he he may be still going after Bucky but w- what I'm saying is his his One morals minute. and his values are definitely still aligned with the things that civil Civil
4: in. War doesn't happen without winter Soldier because he doesn't learn that mis- that fundamental but you mistrust for government winter soldier not civil war that he does yeah but I'm saying that 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 lack of trust comes from my movie that change of the character we're talking about let's talk real quick about the quality of the movie like I said your movie is a joke and it's like all the the good moments get stepped on i mean asgard gets destroyed at the end of that movie and it's just stepped on completely by a by a joke uh, by a cord joke. The, that's so many times. I mean, you know, we have Thor, like the most, one of the most powerful characters in the universe, and he's like begging Stan Lee not to cut his hair. He's getting shocked by the, by the, by the thing. He's a joke in this movie, and the, the Hulk's a joke. Everybody's a joke. It's just a laugh a minute, and it just doesn't fit the character. It fits the world because, they, like I said, they ripped off Guardians of the Galaxy world, but it doesn't fit the, the, the Thor, the Asgard world.
3: But that's also why they destroyed Asgard, and that's what, that destroyed the Navasgard is what changed Thor as a character, made him ready to rule people.
0: Alright, so we're gonna keep, uh, we're gonna keep Robert in here, take Kirk out. Uh, Robert, you know how it goes, close this out, get him in on the board when I disappear and you start talking.
3: The changing of the Thor character into making it a little bit more of a joke universe was such a good thing because they had hit such a stalemate after Thor The Dark World. Uh, that I don't think that's a, that, that's not a dig on the quality of the film. I think it's widely accepted that Thor Ragnarok is an excellent movie. Just because it's funny doesn't mean it doesn't fit the tone that you want Thor to be because Thor has evolved. So has the tone of the films. It's not just character growth for Thor as well. Hulk has incredible character growth in this movie. We see Thor's impact, how he impacts a character like Valkyrie, who was down on her luck, a drunk, a scrapper, has now come back into the fold now is an incredible soldier. We see not just Thor being changed by his change in surroundings, or excuse me, we don't just see his surroundings being changed by him, we see him changing as he goes through them. That's not the same for Winter Soldier. We see S.H.I.E.L.D. collapse uh, uh, and go to shit. In Winter Soldier, we see the things that Captain America believe in go to shit, but he doesn't seem changed by it. He's still the same guy, fighting for good, and being next to Fury, and doing all the good things, and making patriotic speeches, because that's who he is. He doesn't emotionally mature truly until Civil War, when he learns more about Bucky's past. Time. All right, let's bring Kirk in. Kirk, you got a minute on the board
0: when you start talking real quick i want to
4: address something uh robert said that thor's change uh, came about by the destruction of asgard the destruction of asgard is literally the last thing we see in that movie so if thor's change came about from that it wasn't in this movie um but i mean i think again i think i proved my character has better character growth in this movie he matures more uh, it's a better movie they take a really great genre we haven't seen in in comic book movies in general that that, that it's like seventy spy genre, and they make a great superhero movie out of it. Uh, Thor is, is Thor Ragnarok is just a rehash of. Guardians of the Galaxy. It's as Guardians of the Galaxy. That's, that's all it is. Um, it's a joke a minute. It's a laugh. Yeah, it's funny. It's fun. Uh, but it doesn't really do anything for the Thor character. It doesn't do anything for the Marvel Universe. Uh, my movie, like I said, it progresses the character in a very positive, very strong way. It progress, progresses the Marvel Universe in a very strong way. It's the perfect sequel for from MCU movie. Um, it, everything of MCU movie should uh, sequel should be, and it accomplishes so much in a in a great way for the character, uh,
0: for the movie itself, Time. and for the universe. All right, let's bring the judges in. All right, but you're kicking this one off. Uh, Where did you see this argument going?
2: Yeah, uh, I'm giving it to Kirk. I think, um, you know, it kind of got bogged down a little bit into what had more character growth, uh, but Kirk kind of focused it back on the movie and I think that helped his. Argument a little bit more, um, and I. But I do think when they get down to the character, I think Kirk had the better better argument there too. To quote Cody, "Make you fight my fight." Uh, so I'm going to give the point to Kirk on this. Point. All
0: right. Uh, next up is me. Uh, I actually uh, I'm, I agree with both. I think uh, Kirk fought an overall well-rounded <laughs> argument, uh, not just about why, you know, his character was really great in this. Uh, Robert, you saved the Hulk. Uh, and the Hawk, you know, who is another main part of this, t- towards the closing part of the argument, if you would have brought that in and showed the character girth between all three characters, I think that would have maybe made it a little bit better of an argument. Um, but uh, when it comes to the film, Kirk kind of talked about the film a little bit more as to why it was better. Um, so Kirk's going to get the point for that one. Uh, Brooklyn. Uh, your point your your point doesn't matter this round. But where would you have seen this?
1: I would have went, went with Kirk as well. I think there was there was something um in Rob and Kirk's argument that I that I really enjoyed, and that Robert didn't really take take in terms of like how they connect the humor to the overall of, of, of Thor Ragnarok. And I just, it, for me, it just sort of Robert sort of defended it as, as like an, as a, as an artistic choice. And if he told me like how or why they used the humor for those other other moments, he would have sold it. But
0: yeah, Kirk got it. And, all right, guys, we're going to the fourth uh, fourth question. This is where Kirk could either pull out a victory or Robert could tie it and we go to the speed round. Uh, let's go ahead and, Robert, you're kicking this question off. It is Middle Earth, and the question is, worst character in, live action, in a live-action Middle Earth film? Robert, you know how it works. One minute when I disappear
3: and you start talking. So I tend to like The Hobbit movies more than a lot of people. I understand why some people don't like them. It's They pander a little bit to a younger audience, and they play down to the age, and they're a little bit more comic relief, and all these things compared to Lord of the Rings. Um, and one of the things that especially, that almost makes The Hobbit trilogy unbearable for a lot of people, and easily the worst part of the... Genuinely, entire saga of six films is Alfred Lickspittle He is the servant to the master of Lake Town uh, in Desolation, Smog, and Battle of the Five Armies. And it is wasted screen time. It is time spent with him just so that they can like make the run times longer to stretch it out into three movies. And a completely irrelevant character in the, sc- in the scheme of things. It's like if Peter Pettigrew and Grima Wormtongue had a baby that was worse. That that's what Alfred is. He's a whiny, annoying, grimy Stupid little character that serves only to have subplots. There are terrible scenes with him in it, and it genuinely just brings down the entire quality of the Hobbit trilogy just by having this one character in the small portion that he's in. He ruins everything about the trilogy. And time. All right, let's bring Kirk in. Kirk,
0: you know how it works. Uh, Your screen's completely black. All right, uh, you know how it works, though. I think you're here. uh, One minute when you start talking. Uh, we're going to time. Uh, did he completely disappear? Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah. Do you want to see him here? Oh, there he is.
0: Whoa, there he is. There you go. All
1: right.
4: I've never had issues before. I don't know why it's happening now.
0: I don't know why it's happening either. I've never seen you have issues like this before either. Uh, and we went on live, live, live. Um, i know right long ones so we're gonna <laughs> go five four three two one all right kirk you know how it rolls one minute o'clock when you start talking
4: when we're talking about a worse character i want to talk about the character that is most detrimental to the story, to the movie, to the franchise, what have you. Um, so I picked a character from the Middle Earth movies that matter, uh, from the Middle Earth movies that people like. Um, I went with a character from Lord of the Rings. And I went with kind of a Dark Horse choice, maybe not something to think of, but the person I picked was Gimli. Um, I picked Gimli because he is an anchor on the Fellowship. Uh, he slows them down. Uh, he's a very, you know, he's a complainer. He's a whiner. Uh, he doesn't, do anything he's a good fighter and that's it other than that personality wise uh chemistry wise he's just a wet blanket on the entire thing uh he's, he's responsible for some of the worst humor and some of the worst jokes and some of the worst like lighthearted moments in the trilogy um and he's a character. he and he causes real trouble for the uh, fellowship as well and um really brings them down a peg so uh i'm going to say gimli from lord of the rings
0: all right perfect Guys, you know how it works. This is the fourth question. This is where the battle really happens. You guys got five minutes on the clock. I'll be back in at the minute mark.
4: I have to say, Elfried is a perfect Robert Parker for this answer, for this question, because. Nobody but you is going to know who this character is. He's such an obscure character. He's such a like you said. He's like he's not important. Um, so that's why I, I, I didn't say he's
3: not that. important. He's very important. He's, de- he's important was, to the plot of the film.
4: But I'm saying this such such a minor character. How he could be the worst when he really like I said. I, I had to go back and look up who he even was.
3: Just because they're unimportant to the grand scheme of things doesn't mean that they're not bad. You ask who the worst beetle is, just because somebody's going to say like one of the beetles who is less recognized doesn't mean that they're not bad. Uh, Maybe that's a bad analogy, but what I'm saying is memorable and important doesn't mean that they don't count as being bad. If you wanted to go for a complaining, whiny member of the fellowship who's a wet blanket on the entire thing and causes real trouble for them and slows them down, should have gone with Pippin, my guy. that That's just
4: facts. But The reason Pippin has an arc, Pipping becomes something. Gimli's the same guy the so whole Gimli. way through.
3: No, he's not. Absolutely is not. Gimli actually is one of the best arcs of the entire trilogy. If you're talking trilogy, Lord of the Rings, yes, he, he gets is. a little yes, less you know
4: racist. Is that his, is that his arc?
3: No, just his first few lines in fellowship. Some of his first lines: "I'll die before I see the ring in the hands of an elf, and never trust an elf." Yes, he's pretty racist at the start of the film. That's also a really interesting look into dwarves as a whole and their entire culture. Different story. Mm-hmm. My point is, by the end of the move, by the end of the trilogy, he's ready to die side by side with a friend who happens to be an elf. That is character growth. Just because it's a fantasy story that. You know, less racism and classism doesn't mean it's not character growth. Plus, that relationship that is built with Legolas and Gimli is one of the most uh, intriguing and growing and interesting relationships to see Bud on screen. For
4: me, it's one of the most... That that relationship, like I said, it sucks me out the movie so important. It's like, the parts where they're counting their their kills that gets so tired so fast they drag it over movies the the dwarf tossing joke is like the worst single moment lord of the rings um and that's wow. the that's moment that's like a I, I hate that like i it just, it, it's just it's just cuz like oh dwarf tossing that's something that happened in Mid- middle earth times um the one thing that's... i want to say about yours is you said that elfred is wasted screen time i would say the entire time first of all there's so many problems with the hobbit movies you want to pick out this one guy that's fine but wasted screen time yeah when he's on screen it's wasted because that whole situation the whole thing with the bard the whole thing at that lake town or whatever that's all wasted screen time it's all filler he is at least something he's what makes it bad no he's at least something to like root against and something to like be like he's like he's a good foil for bard in that situation he's obnoxious and he's silly but he's he's a good like he's a good villain he's just he's he's very like just opportunistic and he's gross and he's He's not opportunistic
3: at all at he's all, absolutely. He,
4: as soon as soon, as soon as Bard kills a dragon, he's like, "Oh, Dragon Slayer! I'm gonna."
3: And then he gets shot, to, and then people almost hang him the second after he says that he's yeah. not opportunistic at all. There's an entire like, half hour optimistic. plot in Battle of Five Armies where he's like a. He's, uh, he's like he's trying to escape the fight he's trying to not be involved and he's like yelling abandon the cripples and he's pushing people over mm. and then he spends the next 15 minutes dressing like a woman and shoving coins in his bosom that's yeah. just that is a terrible character i, it takes I you are you talk, talking you 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 talking take you out of the movie that takes you out of the movie his relationship with legolas that that the the dwarf however you feel about dwarves uh, that moment is justified in the context of what's happening in that scene
4: I would say, though, that – you're I agree, though, you're saying that uh, he's uh, – that Alfred's El- just a waste of time. But, yeah, at least he's getting giving you something roosting at the time. That whole Lake Town part of The Hobbit could be taken out. That That's just pointless. Who cares about it? It's just filler. Again, taking a 200-page book and making uh, nine hours worth of movies out of it, that's part of this problem. He at least fixes it. Like I said, it's like, oh, here's an interesting bad guy that I really hate and I want to see bad things happen to. And something ba- does bad t- happen to him, he has – Probably the best death in the entire saga. But that's not the
3: theatrical version of the film. That's only in the extended cut. And we can't argue about that. That's only—he doesn't die in the theatrical cut of the film.
4: Is theatrical cut? I—I'll I, argue that that—that that, that is arguable. We're talking TV. I think we could talk. Uh, uh. extended. Ooh,
3: I'll go to the judges for a ruling on that one. But that you got to strike strike that from the record until we get a ruling because that's not. But really again, good.
4: but again, he, yeah, the Hobbit movies are bad. I mean, he is something that makes the Hobbit movies bad. One of three or four dozen things. If you were going to ask me, having not seen the Hobbit movies in a while, what are ten things that? We're bad about the Hobbit movies. This guy wouldn't even be on my radar.
3: It's this not guy. about if you've seen them recently, though. You, you're, you're saying this because you don't like them. You're saying the Lake Town stuff is annoying because you don't like it and because you haven't seen the Hobbit movies in a while. What's more powerful than somebody rooting against is somebody to root for. You have Bard in that scenario. You don't need somebody to root against. You have the Master of Lake Town to root against. You, you—that's the Master of Lake Town. You don't need Alpha there to feed the Master goat nuts. You don't need that.
0: One time all right uh sidebar let's kick this off kirk minute when you start talking
4: again alfred is a character who Is there is a part of the problem, a part of the macro problem of the Hobbit movies. Uh, but he's not the core problem. He's not a horrible character, other than the fact that he's a horrible person and you hate him and you want to see bad things happen to him and you want to see him lose. But that's a villain. He's a good villain because you hate him so much, you feel so much disgust when he's on screen. That's what it doesn't make him a bad character. Um, and again, the Hobbit movies are so littered and filled with characters to say, point out this one, this guy's the problem. He's the reason these movies don't work is ridiculous because there's so many reasons these movies don't work. I picked a character from the great uh, lord of the rings trilogy the great middle earth trilogy a character who bogs the, the fellowship down who is a source of 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 bad, bad humor uh, off-tone humor he is just he's he drags down the fellowship he makes bad decisions for them he ha- he puts them in bad situations uh, he is just a bane on that again he is bad because he he is a black mark on the good movies
0: all right Let's bring Robert back in for his closing. Robert, when I disappear, I'll be back in for the 10-second countdown, and you're good to go.
3: I didn't say he's the part that makes the Hobbits bad. I never said he's the what makes the Hobbit movies bad. I said he's the worst Middle-Earth character because he is. He's the biggest part of that reason. If we're talking extended editions, let's talk extended editions. He has a very unsatisfying death. He dies. He has death by boob gold. That's not good. You want to talk about Gimli being actually a really deep character? Let's talk extended editions. How about the scene where he's joking with Eowyn on the horse? He really shows his warm side. He shows more about dwarf culture. He speaks with Aragorn about how much he cares about the Hobbits and how much he cares about saving them. He helps train Merry and Pippin in the Misty Mountains in Fellowship the rain in the extended cut. He, uh, his relationship with Gandalf the White before the Battle of the Black Gate. These are all things that are in the extended edition and. Gimli's relationships with all of these characters are explored, not just that with Legolas. All of the characters, his arc grows. He is the most stubborn, the most steadfast, the most uh, neat-headed character at the start of Fellowship, and when he comes out of the trilogy, he's a changed dwarf. That is character growth. I don't know how you can call that a bad character. Just because you don't like the little comedic bits he has doesn't mean that they're bad. They're actually very good, they're lightweight, they're a good break, and they're justified in the moment as well. All right, all right, let's bring everybody back in. Uh,
0: such a good bout so far, guys. Um, all right, I'm going to kick this one off. Um, all right, uh, there, for this bout, I got to give it to Robert just because of how he proved Gimli wasn't a bad character. Uh, his argument, you know, Kirk, I didn't hear much besides maybe the crude humor and, and kind of off-kiltered. But then, when you were able to bring in the extended edition, he showed you exactly how broad and how much of a character arc this character gets, and he also hit on the fact is why his character has such an unsatisfying conclusion, uh, and why it's just a terrible character in general. Uh, I know that you tried to bout back, but I uh, definitely, I definitely think uh, he kind of won this one. Uh, Robert, you got the point there. Brooklyn, where did you see this bout?
1: Uh, yeah, I would have agreed. I think. Uh, in terms of like worst character, there's always two uh, avenues of the, of thought process you can go with. That you can go with like the choices that they actually make in the movies, or you can do, or you can do it where it's like, well, this person like like they're just they're just they're worst. They're horrible. They're awful. But um, I think both the avenues were explored, and I think Robert did a really really good job. Um, I think I think the whole thing of like adding in extended edition stuff was just like adding like adding icing onto on the, the cake for him because uh, we'll let you know how well he is with, with Middle Earth. Um, so, yeah, would have given him the point.
0: All right, and Boat, uh, Robert does get the points this round, but Boat, where would you have gone with this match? I also would have
2: gone to Robert. Uh, I think just uh, the overall thing with uh, Gimli and kind of the defense of that is really what brought me on Robert. I think Robert had really good
0: defense in the game absolutely all right guys you know what this means it is all tied up we're going into the speed round this is going to be fun all right so you know how it works the first person to shout their answer gets to go first it's 45 seconds then 30 seconds close. so 45 seconds 45 seconds 30 30. all right guys listen up first person i hear first person the judges here we'll make the we'll make the call there uh in the speed round category of star wars What Sith Lord is best suited for a spinoff?
3: Plagueis. All right,
0: Robert's got that in and Kirk gonna need an answer. Count Dooku. All right, Count Dooku. All right, Kirk got Dooku. And uh, Robert's got Plagueis. All right, Robert, 45 seconds on the clock. We're keeping everybody in so that way we can bounce back and forth. 45 seconds on the clock whenever you start talking.
3: We spent so many times in these stories, spending so much time with the Jedi, the Jedi Order and the prequels, uh, the Resistance now we see in older Luke. We don't spend enough time with the origination of the Sith Order. Who doesn't want to see the rise of the Sith Order? The most powerful Sith there has ever been on his rise to power, his training from young age to that rise to power, learning powers, new force powers that nobody had ever dreamed of seeing them on screen for the first time whether it be a Disney Plus series, there it be a movie that's what we want to see, we want to see something new this is something new, we would also see the very slow rise of Sidious in there too, towards the latter half of whatever kind of adaptation this is, whatever kind of spin-off it is, we see the rise of Sidious we see the tragedy of earth of and the and we see the rise of the Sith Empire which is uh, something that is new time so, alright, Kirk, 45 seconds on the clock
0: whenever you start talking
4: Robert said he wanted to see the origin of the Sith, but Darth Plagueis Y Wise, like one of like l- the last four Sith. He's the, he's right before uh, Sidious. He's he's not original. He's at the very end. Um, and if that with that story, we're just going to get the Darth Plagueis the Wise story that we know, and the rest is going to be filler. Count Dooku, we could do a prequel of him. We could see his rise through the Jedi uh, Je- through the Jedi Order. Uh, wh- where he was, him training uh, Qui-Gon, uh, how he became uh, uh, converted to the Sith, uh, how he became corrupted. Uh, We could see, you know, he's a count, he's royalty. How did that affect him in becoming a Jedi? Like, what is his life? What's his backstory? There's A lot of stuff we don't know about uh, Dooku uh, that I want to know. Plagueis, I know everything about him already that I need to know. There's nothing more. Uh, Dooku is a rich treasure uh, treasure trove of stories.
0: Time. All right, let me scroll down to 30 seconds. All right, Robert, 30 seconds on the clock when you start.
3: You mentioned that he's a treasure trove. I really don't think that's true. We know every single beat that's going to be in that story. He was trained by Yoda. He trained Qui-Gon. He was corrupted. He betrayed the Jedi. Attack of the clones happened. Render the Sith happened. And also all the stuff in Clone Wars. We know every single beat on that character journey. We know where Plagueis ends up. We don't know how he got there. That's the interesting part. That's what we need to get into. We need to get into his allies, his enemies at that time. Those things are interesting. That's new. We know every single beat that Dooku is ever going to hit. And it's going to be worse that Christopher Lee isn't going to be able to play him.
0: Time. All right, Kirk, 30 seconds, this is it. Make it count when you start talking.
4: We don't know every beat for Dooku. We know everything that we know. Plagueis. We know who he ends up. We know he trained by Yoda, and we know he trains Qui-Gon. That's all we know. Otherwise, he's a fascinating character. He was one. Of, he, he was. He, he was friends with Qui-Gon. He was friends with Yoda. Like I said, he has so much backstory. Um, Plagueis is just. He's going to be the same. We've seen the stories of the the Sith. They're all the same. They're good. They fall. It's all the same. Dooku is a new story, a new kind of character that we've never
0: seen. We see that end. Point of the Jedi War that we haven't seen yet. Time. All right, let's bring the judges in. This was a speed round, guys. Brooklyn, you're kicking us off. Where did that was a start? tough
3: question. I just want to
0: just real yeah. quick.
3: That was a tough question. Yeah, that was a good. I think for me, it ultimately came
1: down to like the closing arguments and essentially like what what points did you want to tackle um, in in your in your competitor's rebuttal? And I think Robert gets the point for me in terms of like I just didn't hear a lot from Kirk in terms of like taking Robert's rebuttal and really and really wrapping it into his own argument and really and really countering some of his points. Uh so it's just in terms of in terms of just a lack of defense. I guess. I would say I would
0: give it to Robert. All right. But where'd you see this? Uh you see, I,
2: I would actually disagree with Brooklyn respectfully. Uh, I would give it to Kirk. I think uh Kirk really hit on why we don't want to play this movie and why uh, we would want to. Coming because we've seen that plaguey story before,
0: all right. And uh, I do get the deciding factor. Uh, I think this was a really cool argument, but what happened was I felt like I heard Kirk repeating himself a lot about why we wouldn't want this, and I think Robert hit him where Kirk didn't, didn't kind of come back too much where it was where he's basically stated we got basically the entire Sith Sith story of Dooku but we didn't get the entire Sith story of Plagueis which is uncharted territory which would be a lot of fun to see. Uh, So Robert is going to get the final point tonight and that means going to face Tim in the championship Robert Parker. Uh, Let's go ahead and go to Robert first post-game interview. Uh, yeah, Robert, how do you feel? Uh, you're going up against Tim again for a championship. How does that feel?
3: It feels okay. I don't like debating against Tim because we're both incredibly passionate and that uh, in the heat of the moment can turn to, into other things, And but I'm going to have to be ready for it. I did not debate my best day. Kirk was incredible and i hope that he gets another chance very very soon and i hope that i have the chance the opportunity to face him again really really soon because that was a lot of fun Uh, i definitely deserve to lose the james bond round i did not debate well at all in that round uh so i wasn't my absolute sharpest which i think i need to be to beat tim because he's great our debate styles are so so similar that between me and tim that it's just it's hard to kind of debate against somebody who's the exact same as yours and kirk brought you know when when i heard his picks in the chat i was really interested to see how which avenue he'd take them and he was super unpredictable and that's really dangerous in a debater and i think he'll be back here very very soon cuz kirk is fantastic
0: Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. I think Kirk uh, brings something a little different to each match. Uh, Don't count yourself out. I think you did a really good job tonight. I mean, the categories that were yours, you kind of owned completely. And I think you just kind of like edged out the speed round a little bit. So that's what happens there. Sometimes you you edge out another player and sometimes they edge out you. But uh, tonight you were the victor. Uh, Congratulations. I'm excited to see you and Tim uh, face off. And uh, let's go ahead and talk to Kirk real quick. Kirk, tonight was not your night, but man, you, the rounds that were yours, you were on fire. Yeah. Uh, and you did a really good job tonight debating. I know this is probably not where you wanted to see your your little bit of a run end, but next uh, next season for us, I mean, it's going to be a whole nother ball game. We got some new players coming in. Uh, are you excited to compete again? You know, next uh, next go around. Oh,
4: absolutely. Um, I'll say first, Robert did great. Um, Robert's amazing. Um, and it's, you know, like I said, I was at the beginning, uh, going up again against him and anything geek or fandom related is is crazy. Um, to go to the tiebreaker in the speed round, um, I'm, I'm very proud of that. Uh, but yeah, I am excited to be uh, moving forward. Uh, the uh, I'm excited for the changes coming. You know, you can probably tell there's some uh, categories that I'm not super passionate about. I'm excited to say expand a little bit, um, but yeah, as far as this match goes. Um, full disclosure, I misunderstood the Mid-Orth question. I thought we were only doing Lord of the Rings characters. Um, I would not have picked Ghibli if we had, <laughs> if I did, the rest of that world was open. Um, but I'm proud of how I was able to at least make some semblance of that, because that was, uh, completely uphill battle. Absolutely. Um, but and, and then, and then in the speed round, I wish I had that last 30 seconds back. You know, it's one of those things where after you're done talking, you think of four or five things you could have added. Uh, but like I said, Robert did great. He deserves the win. Um, and you know i'm excited to see uh what him and tim do in their match
0: absolutely it's gonna be a great match uh kirk keep your head up this was an incredible match uh regardless of how the outcome is it definitely doesn't show the style of the bater that you are and it's it's incredible to watch uh let's go ahead and bring in uh our uh our judges tonight brooklyn uh, this match, it's incredible, right? This was great.
1: Yeah, there was really good back, really good back and forth, and there's a really good sense of like just knowing where where their strength where their strengths lie. And I think I think you were really the uh, Kirk and Robert really had a chance to shine in the categories that, that they were well versed in. And I think this match is a great example in terms of like just mental endurance and in terms of like what you need to do to, to, to get the point. Um, and I think this is a great example of it.
0: Absolutely, both. Where are you? Uh, uh, How do you like this match though Was it was definitely a it was yeah, definitely that was a, a, it that was a close
1: out. one. That was a close one. It was a
2: good match. Uh, everybody brought their A game.
0: Absolutely. And uh, you know, did you did you take your mind off your finals a little bit tonight? Sure cool all right that's what we want to hear over here at nerdgasm until we change the name anyway after this championship but guys remember we have two spots available for debut players for the next tournament make sure you message someone that is a part of this league either tim cody caleb uh coho or boatman uh brooklyn myself you can message any of us we'll get you in contact with the way you know, get in this and play so you can be a part of a match that's as great as this one. Till next time. See y'all later.
1: safely.